So as I often think about our class and who we are and, and, and our, our makeup, it, I, I kind of get where we are. Uh, many in Life Fellowship, we, um, we're very established in our careers, right? Most of you are not trying to figure out what you're going to do when you grow up. You're doing that. Uh, some have retired. Some are eyeing retirement. Uh, they're very close to that. Uh, some are putting kids through college. Some are preparing to put kids through college. Some, am I? I think your audio's off. My audio off? Okay, sorry. Okay, sorry. Man, I'm, I was like in my flow. I'm sorry, brother. Like, man. It's like waking a sleeping baby. You don't do that. So, all right, everybody can hear me now? Okay, fantastic. People are like, his lips are moving. I have no idea what he's saying. So, but some of you are, you're in the process of putting kids through college. You, 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 you've done that. Uh, many of you are homeowners, right? Where, where am I going with this? Um, while we have all of those questions answered, because you kind of have to at this stage in life, you, you've got to have those blanks filled in. You're not looking to fill those blanks in or work those things out. But here's where I'm going. How would you answer this question? What is God's specific plan for my life? What is God's specific plan for my life? How would you answer that question? It's very interesting to me that believers will have a career plan, they'll have a financial plan, they'll have a residential plan. If, if, if they're you know, looking to, this is my next home, or whatever, they're, you know, whatever it is, all those things are worked out. They're crystal clear. Crystal clear. Between husband and wife, we, we're, we're there. But this question, when confronted with it, despite years of, church attendance, and listening to messages like this, and reading good books, and going to Christian conferences, and doing Christian things, when it comes to this question, what is God's specific plan for my life, the answers get very vague, or we get very evasive in our response, and we fumble and stumble and trip and just try to work our way through it to get it over with as quickly as we can because what we're really saying is, is I don't know. I don't have a clue. In verse 23, Paul said, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, a servant. God's specific plan for Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, was that he would serve the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be a minister of the gospel. That was the plan. After Paul encountered the risen Christ, the rest of his life was about that. It was about that plan. Roughly six years after I had been saved, somewhere between six and seven years, I remember very clearly that God made it clear to me, this is my specific plan for you. This is how it is going to please me to use you in this dispensation. You're going to be a pastor. This is my plan. This is your calling. It could not have been clear. Everything that God had been doing since he saved me to that point screamed that. I couldn't miss it if I tried. I knew that full-time ministry was what God had for me. And so guess what? 
any other pursuit, any other interest was unworthy. It didn't matter what the temporal reward was. It would have been a demotion. So all of my major decisions moving forward were made with that reality in mind. This is what God has for me, especially when it came to choosing a wife. The last thing that I wanted to do was marry a woman who was only interested in us getting all that we could get out of this carnal world. Just a carnal life where we're just preoccupied with our dream home and our this and our that. And all, listen, all, all of that has its place. I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is, is it's not first. And from day one, praise the Lord, man, Lori has been nothing but 100% all in on helping me and supporting me and fulfilling God's specific plan for my life. Period. And I believe that God's plan for you should be as specific. It should be. It has to be. Because this is not only applicable to pastors. The issue for many right now is, well, how do I pinpoint that? How do I know that? How do I pinpoint that plan, God's plan for my two things? Number one, it starts with men. It starts with men. A husband must know God's specific plan for him. A husband has to know that. And from there, he's able now to lead his wife on how she helps him in that. But a husband has to know that as much as my daughter says she's never going to get married. Well, I know she's lying. And we laugh and we joke about it, but she's going to change her mind someday. I know that. But in addition to him being a saved man, what I'll be very interested to know, I'll be very interested in knowing how is he serving the Lord? How is he walking with God in a way that says he needs help? How, how can she help him? How can she help him? Because listen, fellows, when, when Eve shows up in the garden, what does God call her? His what? Help me. Which meant he needed help in what God had called him to do. So I'll be very interested in that. How can she help him? If he's not serving the Lord in a way that says, Bree can help him, my counsel to her will be, Hey, listen, if he's a believer, you can marry him, and I'll support that. But I'm going to tell you now, I think you're settling. You're going to be frustrated. Because <laughs> I've had the responsibility and privilege for the last however many years to watch God grow you and develop you. And if there's one thing about you I know, you have the gift of helps. Bree's a helper. She loves to help. She loves to serve. But if he's not serving the Lord in a way that says he needs help, she's going to be wasting her time. And my question to her will be, what am I giving you away to? I don't know. Listen, the bottom line of marriage is not simply going to church, paying bills, raising children, and trying to be as comfortable as we can be. And hit that magic number for retirement. There's a reason why, once again, Eve is the help me. And one of the reasons that marriages flounder and limp along is because too many husbands are vision impaired. They're vision impaired. 
They only have temporal vision. They can't see beyond the here and now. Next is discovering God's plan. It's not as complicated as most people make it. It's not this mystical, mysterious dream you get at 3 o'clock in the morning kind of deal. It's not that. Beginning in verse 23, we see very clearly the ministry of the minister. Not everyone is called to be a Paul or called to be a pastor. But when you look at his ministry, what is clear is all of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to minister like he did. No doubt about it. That's critical because that's exactly how you're going to pinpoint God's specific plan for your life. As you see these things unfold, look at verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Paul was made a minister of the gospel. And so here we go. The minister of God preaches the gospel. <laughs> The minister of God preaches the gospel. Pastor or not, every believer, every believer has been specifically called to the ministry of reconciliation. Every believer is called to that. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we often quote verse 17 that we are new creatures in Christ. Praise God, but look at what follows. Because contextually, it, it fits. Verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't offer it to us. He gave it to us. Which means he has entrusted it to us, and we are accountable to God to, for what we do with it. But we've been given this ministry as new creatures in Christ. God reconciled us to himself that he might use us in Christ to reconcile others to himself. That's the ministry. That's our ministry. And God is clearly passionate about this. Because God is passionate about the gospel being presented or preached to every creature. We see that in verse 23. And which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Look at verses 5 and 6 in chapter 1. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. And that's and look, look at Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Romans 10, 18, what I say, Have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. So this is our response, and many other verses, to the person who wants to know about the guy in the jungle of Africa who's never heard of Jesus. Well, here's what the Word of God says. <laughs> we don't have to cower from that question. God's not trying to hide the gospel. He's not playing hide and seek with the gospel. Like, too bad, so sad for you because of where you were born. No, the gospel is available to... Now, how does God do that? Man, that is so beyond my pay grade, I can't begin to answer that. But I can tell you what the Word of God says. 
These verses also rule out Calvinism. Why on earth would we go and preach the gospel to every creature if only some can receive it? Amen. How's that redeeming the time? It's not. Now, regardless of personality or gifting, every believer is called to preach the gospel. You might be the greatest introvert in the room. You are not exempt from preaching the gospel as a believer. You are not excused from the ministry of reconciliation because you have a bashful personality. It's not biblical. Is your life about the gospel? I can promise you, God's specific plan for you, no matter who you are, involves preaching the gospel. And, and here's what happens is, is when it comes to this, this discussion about God's specific plan for our lives, we can't look at it like we're going into a clothing store where we're going to try on different clothes to see what we like. We don't get to do that with God's plan where I'm looking for the plan that I think fits me the best. So you know what? I'm not the extroverted type. I'm not outgoing. So you know what? I'll let someone else do that, that gospel stuff. That, that doesn't fit me. No, 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 no. Every believer has been given the ministry of reconciliation. Regardless of personality or gifting, we are accountable to preach the gospel Listen, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a social media person at all. Um, again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it, it, maybe I'm from a different generation. I just, I don't get it. Like, I, I really don't get it. So, like, I don't know why I need an Instagram so you can see what I had for lunch. I, I, so what, WhatsApp for me, is, that's, that's really big. Like, I get to communicate on that. But one of the things I do treasure about our WhatsApp communications is, man, just the gospel discussions. The people we're praying for, the stories like that. And, and you know what, man, praise the Lord that, that we get to lead people to Christ. But, man, praise the Lord that the gospel was preached. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. Even if people are preaching it with bad motives, he rejoiced because the gospel was preached. Praise God. That's exciting. Verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul said, who now, so present tense, rejoice in my sufferings. If you recall, Paul wrote this epistle during his first imprisonment at Rome. So he was suffering at the time of the writing of the epistle to the church at Colossae. And why was he suffering? He was suffering because he was preaching the gospel. That's why. And do you want to know why so many believers are derelict in their responsibilities to preach the gospel? Because they don't want to suffer. Because it's too uncomfortable. Because it's not convenient. Because it's not popular. Because it's, it's not the end thing. He goes on to say, And fill up that which is behind, or that which was, of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, we know from John 19, verse 30, Jesus made those very powerful words, those, those three words, it is what? It is finished. It is finished. 
So he is no longer suffering, Christ that is, he is no longer suffering as he did before the crucifixion and during the crucifixion. But when he intercepted Saul on that Damascus road, we all remember the question that the risen Christ had for Saul in Acts 9, verse 4. Saul, Saul, why persecutest who? Thou me. Saul never drove one nail into the hands and feet of Jesus. But by persecuting the church, he was persecuting Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at in verse 24. And fill out that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And the filling up mentioned in this verse is also stated this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5, where Paul said this, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, fill up. So our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Amen. What a, what a, a point of comfort you have in that verse. Because yes, preaching the gospel is going to invite rejection. It is going to invite persecution. It is going to invite hardship. Right? The sufferings of Christ, if you are ministering the way that the Apostle Paul did, you are going to suffer. Listen, suffering is not rejection. Hardship is not an elective in the Christian life. Not if you are ministering as the Apostle Paul did. Not if you're ministering biblically. And yea, all who will, God, will live godly in Christ shall suffer. What? Persecution. This is part of it. But man, look at the promise. So our consolation, that's also translated as comfort, also aboundeth by Christ. So while the sufferings of Christ are abounding, something else is also abounding. The consolation of Christ. And so, man, Christ will comfort you in affliction. He'll comfort you in persecution. He'll comfort you in suffering. This is why the Apostle Paul could write the epistle to the church at Philippi about joy. <laughs> As a prisoner. Because, yeah, he was suffering. The sufferings of Christ were abounding. But the consolation of Christ was also abounding. And so here we go. The minister of God endures hardness. The minister of God preaches the gospel. The minister of God also endures hardness. Now I want to share with you just some of the job titles in Life Fellowship. Uh, salesman. Teacher. Engineer. IT manager, network analyst, therapist, technician. I mean, those are, those are some of the, the ones that just came to mind. And praise the Lord for employment. Praise God. And uh, especially in, in this economy. But here's where I'm going. Uh, those careers all provide you with the means to live fairly comfortable. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, you, you can own a nice home. You can drive nice vehicles. You can, you can live fairly comfortably. Here's the issue, though, and this is critical for us. Comfort is not a theme in God's specific plan for your life. And this is what mainstream Christianity hides from people. And this is the life that mainstream Christianity is selling 
to so-called Christians. That comfort truly is a theme in the Christian life. Well, the Bible disagrees and says, actually, the theme of the Christian life is you get a cross. There's a cross to bear. And it's not comfortable. For too many, one of the reasons that they don't know God's specific plan for their lives is that it's just too uncomfortable to find out, if not risky. Because what if God's plan for my life, what if that takes me down a road of uncomfort and inconvenience and hardship? What if that means I've got to sell my house and reorient my entire life? It's too scary for too many. I don't know how to adequately express to you the challenges of planting a New Testament local church in Boston, Massachusetts. I have lived on the East Coast. I am telling you, it's not the Midwest. There will be challenges planting a church here. Multiply them by 10 there. I promise you that. In a phrase, it will be hard and uncomfortable. Seasons of discouragement await. Seasons of hardship await. Seasons of rejection await. It will be challenging. As a lawyer of a growing practice here in Kansas City, Mike could have built a very comfortable life for himself and his family. Would not have been very hard to do in Kansas City. But God had a specific plan, and as we speak, Mike and his family are enduring the hardness of planting a New Testament local church in Boston, Massachusetts. Because that's God's specific plan. You know this verse, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Here's what's interesting about it. Here we go. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay, we get that. Who can tell me what comes before this verse? No, the verse before this. It is the corner, it is one of, if not the cornerstone on. Okay. Cornerstone verse on discipleship, correct? We teach it, we scream it, we kind of quote it. <laughs> How funny. We stop there in our discipleship discussion. Do you understand if you're going to make disciples, Timothy, you're going to have to endure hardness as a good soldier because it will be hard. But we stop at verse 2. And verse 3 just becomes this disconnected, isolated, completely separate thought where contextually you can't justify that. No, verse 3 is very much a part of the discipleship conversation. We can't ignore that. Verse 25, whereof, Paul says, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. What Paul was simply saying there is being a minister of the church, being a minister of the gospel was God's specific plan for my life during the church age. That's what he's getting at. But notice the statement, which is given to me 
for you. Why was Paul made a minister of the gospel and of the church for you? For you. For the believers at Colossae and for us and the believers who will come after us. Ultimately, whatever God's specific plan is for you, guess what? It's not even about you. It's about Him and the lives of people that God wants to use you to minister to. It's about others and the Word of God. This is why 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whatever gift God has given you, He gave it to you for the people who are around you. He wants you to use it to be a blessing. Here's our third observation for today. The ministry of God ministers in and through the local church. Paul says, I was made a minister of the church. God did not make Paul a minister of parachurch organizations or Christian conferences and all things Christian. No, he made him a minister of the church. Pastors and teachers were given to and for the church. Now, I know you're listening, but I'm going to ask you to listen a little bit closer now. In terms of this whole discussion about God's specific plan for our lives. Because one of the reasons that believers do not know that, and sadly, this is alive and well at MBT, is that they do not agree with God on the importance of the local church. They don't. God says, it's a really big deal. They say, not to me. Paul was made a minister of the church. In other words, whatever God was going to do in and through the Apostle Paul, it was going to be in and through the local church. That's important, which God shed his blood to purchase on many levels for too many, even if it's just five at MBT, which is more than that. For too many so-called believers, the local church is optional. It's an elective. Well, I can just, you know, man, I can just attend whenever it's convenient, and I can serve whenever it's convenient, and I can tithe whenever whenever all that fits whenever it works out i'll do it no no you don't understand that is not how you view and treat god's church whatever god's specific plan is for your life make no mistake about it midtown baptist temple is a major part in that it would be a waste of god's time to entrust you with his plan because you would just waste it if you don't understand and respect the importance of the local church. I was ordained on July the 8th, 2005. And over the years, it never ceases to amaze me the level of hypocrisy that believers can exhibit. We can get really good at it. Uh, Sam said it Tuesday night. If you were here, he said, all it takes is for 12 weeks. 12 weeks for some people to completely check out of church. 12 weeks, and they're done. And listen, if there's anything that I've, I've come to understand in this role, is I understand the level of 
constant criticism that comes with leadership. If you are a parent of teenagers, you probably know what I'm talking about because you're getting it too, okay? I get that. Uh, it's part of it. It's part of, and I will tell you, over the last four months, Sam and his team of leaders, there's not been a shortage of critiques and criticisms. For starters, as I told one individual, <laughs> I said, hey, listen, anytime you want to go sit in Sam's seat for five minutes, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Go for it. Uh, you, have you ever sat in a chair where you've got to make some very critical decisions that involve the lives of over 600 people? You haven't, haven't you? But all of a sudden, you're a so-called expert on what he should or shouldn't do. As a matter of fact, because of how well I know you, you aren't doing a good job of managing a house of five. But you know what the man down the hall from me, you know what he should be doing. And his oversight and accountability and responsibility for over 600 people. The conversation was fairly over at that point. How could you possibly know what he should do? How could you know? But some have completely checked out of NBT. And you know what they're doing? They're blaming. They're hiding under COVID. Oh, it's the, it's the coronavirus. There's a line in the street. <laughs> they're blaming COVID or blaming how we're mishandling it. But here's where their hypocrisy reeks. Uh, Target, uh, Walmart, Price Chopper, you know, it wasn't until recently that they mandated that you had to wear a mask. That was fairly recent, is that correct? But for months, you could go to those places without one. And as we did, I mean, we wore masks, but we did. We saw me who weren't. I mean, I had one guy coughing right in front of me, blowing smoke. Man, my testimony was challenged. Like, <laughs> guess what? Those places aren't social distancing. How do you get 500 people in a building to socially distance? You can't, you can't do that. What do you do when you're standing there and somebody walks right by? I mean, come on. For some of those people who would use COVID for an excuse or a handling of it, went to those places weekly. And they went to restaurants. That, well, yeah, sure, maybe there's a, an empty booth between this, where you're sitting and where the other one is. But So let me get this right. So you walk in, you've got to have a mask on, but when you sit down to eat, you take it off. Because you can't get COVID then, right? Please hear me. I'm not mocking the severity of the situation. There is a real virus out there. And I think all of us should be wise and take the right precautions I am not despising that at all. Believe me. Please, please hear me. That's what I'm saying. But, but those same people who are throwing rocks at MBT and hiding behind COVID because it's so dangerous are still living life. They still go to work. Why? Because they got to make money. Well, everybody at work is wearing a mask. Okay, that's great. But let me ask you this. How many times have you heard people say, I did everything I was supposed to do and I still got it? Mm -hmm. 
what those people are really saying, what they're really saying is you can only get COVID at church. That's what they're really saying. You can't get it at Target. You can't get it in the office. You can't get it at a family birthday party. You can't get it there. But you can definitely get it at MBT. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, come on, guys. And God forbid, some in that crowd are so carnal and immature that they are secretly rooting for an outbreak at MBT. So they can say, see, that's why I didn't go. Wow. Do you think that person is truly interested in God's specific plan for their life? Of course not. And why would God be any more interested in revealing it to them? It would be a waste of his time and theirs. Father, we do thank you for the time that you've given us in your word this morning. God, I do know that some of this is very challenging. But God, we do need to consider these things. God, please, whatever it is that you have revealed to us about the ministry of the minister, God, help us to examine ourselves, receive these things, so that we can know for sure your specific plan for our lives, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.